Mikel Arteta keeps everybody guessing with regards to the fitness of Bukayo Saka. The Gunners welcome Manchester City to Emirates Stadium this weekend in what should be a cracker. It's the big match preview here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Let's get into it. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. It's been a few days. How are you doing? Hope you're all good. Hope you are all welcome back along to the show. Happy Friday, everybody. Of course, the Gunners in action on Sunday uh, this week, so we could get away with doing this show a little bit later on and still giving it the opportunity to be relevant that it deserves, the space to breathe, if you like, uh, that it deserves. What a fascinating game we've got coming up at the weekend. A massive, massive game in the Premier League. Arguably the biggest game of the season so far. I know that some Arsenal fans will tell you that that was probably the North London derby. But in terms of sides that are expected to be competing for the Premier League title, this is the first meeting really, isn't it, of of the two favourites in a lot of people's eyes. Manchester City, of course, treble winners last season. And Mikel Arteta's Arsenal, who were top for such a long period of last season, but unfortunately in the end, weren't able to see it out. Um, Good to see so many of you in the live chat. Let me say a few hellos. A big hello to Afsar. Uh, We've got Temi, who's confident, says we'll win this time. I hope you're right. Uh, We've got M in the chat as well. Um, We've got Sephiroth in the chat too. Uh, We've got Oslo Guna. Uh, What else have we got? Mafia Boss, Delisu. Um, Joey Odegaard is here. He says, missed you. Um, your travels looked amazing. Thank you, mate. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, in just a minute. Um, big hello to Peter Buck as well, who joins us. Love your show, Harry from Canada. Thank you so much. Uh, great to see you. Uh, what else have we got? Canterbury Guna says, evening, H. Happy Friday. Uh, Reggie Perry says, um, so your man cave is a real cave, huh? Look, I've had a, a a shocker, right? I've been trying to get the lighting right in the background of this room. The lighting on my face is fine, right? We've got the, the ring light and all the rest of it. The camera brightness is all the way up and it's it's fine. But behind me, it is dark. Yeah, um, I, I've got not enough lighting really on the ceiling in this place. I've got four bulbs here, but they're situated at this end of the room. So when you go, look at the back end of the room, it looks really, really dark. And to make matters worse, the lamp that I normally have in the corner, that just provides a bit more backlight um, or the bulb just went as I flicked it on this evening. Uh, so I'll have to address that after the weekend. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Richie says his man cave is to escape. His man cave is the escape the kids cave. Yeah, uh, you could put it that way. I can hear my neighbor's dog like really loudly, like almost as if it's in my garden. Has it found its way into my garden? I don't know. Anyway. Bloody hell. That's all we need in the middle of a podcast. Right. Um, it's the Chronicles of Aguna and we're looking ahead to Arsenal versus Manchester City. What a big, big game this is going to be. Can we finally get that monkey off our backs? Can we finally beat Manchester City in the Premier League? Because as you're going to find out a little bit later on when we do uh, the statistical preview of this fixture, it's been a long old time. There have been some encouraging performances against Manchester City in the past couple of seasons, I would say, at home. But on our travels, we we haven't been able to lay a glove on them. We did OK in the FA Cup game uh, last season where we made a few changes, more changes 
than Manchester City did. And we narrowly lost that. We were quite unlucky. It was a, um, a really sort of disappointing uh, night, that one. But, you know, FA Cup, we were chasing the league title at that point. You weren't really massively fussed about it. I don't know about you guys. Well, I wasn't anyway. Um, I, I really did want us to either go really far in the Europa League and hopefully go on and win that or qualify for the Champions League via the Premier League group. Last season, for me, it was all about getting back into the Champions League. And if we could win the Premier League, that would have been a massive, massive bonus. But we've got to keep progressing and we've got to keep moving forward, which means at some point we have to be able to compete with Manchester City. Now, I'm not saying that we didn't win the title last season because of uh, the results against Manchester City specifically. I think there were a lot of other results along the way that had they gone in our favour and gone our way, actually the fact that City beat us twice would have been irrelevant. You know, we beat Leicester twice the season that they won the Premier League. So I understand why people say, well, if you want to beat City and you want to beat them to the title, you have to beat them in a match. I, I get that. I, I get why psychologically that's a big thing. But in terms of the, the way the Premier League is, that's not always the case. And, and, and so you shouldn't really obsess about these matches in that, you know, if you lose, yes, it's disappointing and it probably carries more weight than your your standard defeat because it's up against a rival. And as I say, psychologically, that can have an impact. But ultimately, it's still three points. Three points are three points. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if they beat us this weekend, and I don't want to start off on a negative note, but if they beat us this weekend, they end up four points clear of us, which eight games into the season is is far from fatal. Equally, if we were to beat them and go two points clear of them, you're not going to catch me here on Monday or on Sunday night even telling you that we're going to win the league now because we've we've beaten them. Like, that, it, it's not that cut and dry, right? So, yes, if we lose on Sunday, it will be a bit of a kick in the balls. It will be a psychological blow and it will start to prompt questions again around whether or not this team have progressed further. I think there's no doubt that there's been incredible progression over the last couple of seasons. But now we're hoping to go to that next level. And playing against the best in the world, I think, gives you a good indicator of whether you are on the right lines and, and moving along the right path. But ultimately, it still is a one-off game of football. So I, I don't want to obsess too much about Sunday. I want to enjoy it. I want to see Arsenal go out there and put a performance, be competitive. Is it a must-win game? I've been asked that question so many times this week. It's not a must-win game. You could argue it's a must not lose. But even that, for me, feels a little bit extreme eight or so games into the season. The fact that Rodri is not available for Manchester City gave us a massive, massive boost. But then you get to the midweek stage, Arsenal travel to Lons and Arsenal get beaten and lose Bukayo Saka, who limped off for a third successive game. And then you look across and Manchester City have comfortably beaten RB Leipzig without really coming out of second gear. And despite the fact that Rodri is not available this weekend, the pendulum in terms of confidence has swung completely back the other way. So the point I'm making here is that things can change pretty quickly in football. Like if you'd have asked me on Monday, I'd say, wow, what a chance we've got to beat Manchester City the upcoming weekend because of A, the confidence, you know, the defeat at Wolves, the defeat against Newcastle in the Carabao Cup. and then you know, you know, the confidence level there might be affected, might be impacted. But then Arsenal's has been impacted, you'd feel, by that defeat out in Lons. Plus, 
there were elements of that team that I looked at and I just thought, you're not good enough. And it certainly wasn't good enough, at least on that night. And I worry that, you know, Manchester City, who in my mind are a superior side to us and probably still by more distance than I'd like them to be, I still make them favourites and I'll always make them favourites when they play Arsenal until Arsenal show to me and prove to me that they should be the favourites. And at this stage, I'm not quite there. Must-win game, more of a must-not-lose, but I think it's silly to label it as either of those two things, given that it will be, what, our eighth game of the league season. Anyway, uh, we're going to get into this one in a lot more depth uh, later on on the show. Um, some of you asking about my travels, I'll just give you a quicker update on uh, what I've been up to and the reason that there have been less episodes of the podcast uh, this week. So uh, I made the trip to Lons on Tuesday. Um, we travelled by car. We drove uh, down to Folkestone and we hopped onto uh, the Euro Tunnel. We drove the car onto the train and we made the crossing. It took about half an hour. I have to say, if you ever go on that, if you ever make that trip from Folkestone uh, across to Calais in France, you're meant to sit in your car, really. You, you drive your car onto the train and you kind of just sit in, in your seat and it takes about 30 minutes to cross, which is not a long time at all, really. Um, I recommend that you get out of the car and stand in the train rather than sit in your car because when the train's shaking and your car's bloody shaking on top of that and you're in the car that is shaking inside the train carriage, you can get a bit sick. I, I felt really sick, so I ended up getting out and I felt absolutely um, fine after that, which was interesting. Um, so, yeah, we made the trip to Lons. I have to say, and I know I said this on the, the reaction video that we did, the reaction podcast. It was a really short, brief episode. And I'll tell you the reason that was so short and brief in a minute. Um, yeah, I, I think that was one of the best footballing atmospheres I've ever experienced in my life. It was incredible. The noise inside the Stade Bolaire, and anyone that was there will tell you this. And I'm sure those of you that watched it on the television could feel it coming through as well. It was incredible. Um, unfortunately, our performance wasn't. Um, you know, even though we were winning the game, I never really felt like we had really clicked at any point. Like, and, and the minute they equalized, which was what, 10, 11 minutes after we'd taken the lead, you knew that we were facing an uphill task. And once Bukayo Saka went off as well, then you knew it was going to be a, a rough night. But we left from there. We got back to my house at four o'clock in the morning. And at five o'clock in the morning, I had to leave to go to Stansted Airport to get out to Portugal for FC Porto versus Barcelona, where I was doing uh, some work uh, with uh, 90 Min uh, and New Balance, who, of course, sponsor FC Porto. So I got there, had a cracking time. Um, massive thanks to New Balance and, and to 90 Min as well for the opportunity. Really enjoyed the game in hospitality. The Estadio do Dragao is a wonderful place and um, the atmosphere there was pretty incredible too. We finished from the game, we got out of the stadium, we got back to the hotel and I had three hours to sleep before um, I needed to leave to get to the airport and catch my flight back to London. Why did I have to get such an early flight back? Well, because I was working on Thursday afternoon at ESPN. So a big thank you to ESPN as well, who had me uh, there for the first time on the football forecast show uh, with good friends, uh, James Alcott and uh, Kwaku Afari. You can find those videos on the ESPN UK YouTube channel. Uh, you'll see some of the clips going around on social media as well, if you follow me. Um, and then today it was back in the 90 Min studio, uh, finished from the 90 Min uh, studio, went straight over to TalkSport 2 for the social 
all afternoon. Then I had to go and pick up some equipment from the work for the work I've got tomorrow. I'm bringing you full commentary on BBC Radio London. The first half will be on DAB only, but the second half will be on DAB and on FM if you're in the London area of Luton Town versus Tottenham Hotspur. And then on Sunday, it's all systems go down at the Emirates Stadium. I'll be working with Five Live um, earlier on in the day. Then I'll be uh, covering the match for BBC Radio London. Then we'll be bringing you the Chronicles of Aguna podcast and we'll be hopping onto CNN as well. So that is a, a, a sort of idea of what my week looks like. And, and listening to that, I'm sure you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, man, who cares? But the reason I'm telling you is so that you understand why um, it has taken me a couple of days to get another episode of the podcast. That's not because um, it's not because uh, I, I don't want to do it or I can't be bothered. I just genuinely haven't had the time. Uh, big hello to Rob, who says, uh, evening all, still recovering from lawns. We missed the 2.20 a.m. train back by three minutes, and we had to wait two and a half hours getting uh, back to Barnet at 6.30 a.m. The atmosphere was terrific. Concerned, though, with our tetter and our performance. I'm interested to know what people are concerned about exactly with our tetter. Not that I'm saying there's no reason to be concerned. I, I think there are some points that that could be made and, and could be well made. But I'm interested to hear a little bit more from you guys. And we'll do a Q&A section at the end of this episode, of course. And you're right, Rob, th those trains coming back from France were annoyingly um, sort of scarce after midnight, weren't they? There was one at 2.20, there was one at 4 something, and then there was one at... Um, then, the, then they started normal service, I think, at about 6.30 or something in the morning. I just about made the 221 by about, I think there was three three cars behind us that got on. And if I didn't make it, I'd have missed my flight the next morning. So I was so, so lucky. Um, yeah, we got away with it. We got away with it. Okay, right. Anyway, um, let's, uh, let's start by looking at some of the statistics ahead of this fixture. Then we'll talk Mikel Arteta's press conference. And then I'll share with you guys my lineup for Arsenal versus Manchester City this upcoming weekend. We're going to take a short pause and then let's dive into some of the stats. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, brought to you by 90 Min, of course, as always. Um, right, let's do this. Let's have a look at some of the statistics ahead of this one. Arsenal taking on Manchester City at 4.30pm UK time, that is, this coming Sunday. The Gunners hoping to get that monkey off their back, hoping desperately to register all three points or to take all three points uh, and register a victory in the Premier League against Manchester City for, let's face it, the first time in a long time. Despite the fact that the record in recent times looks like that, Arsenal have still beaten Manchester City four more times in the Premier League than Manchester City have beaten us, which gives you an indication of how the history um, looks, really. 52 meetings between the two clubs. The Gunners have won on 23 occasions in England's top flight with Manchester City 
uh, winning on 19 occasions. I say top flight, I, I mean Premier League, obviously, since its creation. Uh, 10 draws, two uh, between the sides. Right. If you look at the recent meetings, well, it, this doesn't read well for Arsenal, does it? Um, there was the 4-1 uh, defeat up at the uh, Etihad Stadium on Wednesday, the 26th of April earlier this year. One of the most painful defeats I've ever witnessed, because even at that point where you probably felt like the title was getting away from us, there was still that bit of hope and optimism going into that game that we could, you know, pull off the unthinkable. We'd produced so many wonderful moments that season up until that point. You wondered if, you know, we could if we could spring a surprise and, and if we could, um, you know, potentially nickel three points or, or even register a draw and keep ourselves within touching distance. Um you know, or keep ourselves alive. But that was the the final nail in the coffin that night, wasn't it? I, I remember driving back from the Etihad that night feeling absolutely awful. I remember struggling with the drive because I was so tired. I was so downbeat. I, f- I felt genuinely, I felt depressed um, by it. And the reason I felt depressed was because I had watched Arsenal all season play really, really well. And I'd watched Arsenal get to a point where they were starting to struggle and where things were looking a little bit difficult. But you just felt it was a bad patch. You felt like it was just Arsenal evening out, given that they'd been so good and so much better than anybody expected them to be up until that point in the season. But when I watched Manchester City that night, they were more up for it than us. They had quality all over the pitch. You know, the likes of Erling Haaland, incredible. You know, you only had to look at his goal tally last season, but the likes of Kevin De Bruyne as well. He was in magnificent form that night, scored an early goal, didn't he? And and I remember coming away from that game just thinking this was men against boys. And although I'd spent the entire season thinking that Arsenal had got to the point where they could actually compete with this City side, that night told me that we were still quite a way away from them. And the reason I'm I'm sitting here and I'm not massively buoyant or you know, confident going into this weekend's game. Not that you should ever be overconfident, but, you know, if you'd have asked me ahead of the game on February 15th last season at Emirates Stadium, I was feeling much more confident than I am today. Is because at the start of this season, not totally convinced that Arsenal are a better outfit than they were last season. And that is something that you can probably ask questions of and something that we should probably address, which we will, I'm sure. Um, over the course of the international break, we'll have plenty of time to really deep dive things and do some statistical analysis and, and and share some views and opinions on Arsenal and where they're at, generally speaking. But yeah, that that night, just it's one of the ones that really, really cut deep for me. I mentioned that game on the 15th of February, which was at Emirates Stadium. We were beaten that night as well. Manchester City had 36% of the possession that night. How many sides limit them to that? Not many. But we just weren't clinical enough and we made silly mistakes at the back. You, you'll always remember the, the Tommy Asu back pass that was short, but then the wonderful finish from Kevin De Bruyne to punish him for that. And again, that was an example of levels. You know, Arsenal are a good side, but Manchester City have that killer cutting edge that we just didn't have. You go back to January the 1st, 2022, the game that Mikel Arteta missed uh, through COVID. And, you know, he was really pleased by what he saw from Arsenal that day. We competed excellently and then Rodri pops up with a late goal and um, and kills us. You go back to the 28th of August, the start um, of, of that season, we lost 5-0, you know, really damaging defeat that one. And if you go back to February 21st, 2021, 
the season prior, we were beaten 1-0 by Manchester City. We have not beaten Manchester City in an awful long time. And there's a reason for that. You know, they've been getting better and better, stronger and stronger over the years. And Arsenal went through a long period of regression. We closed the gap quite dramatically on them last season. And you now feel we're in a position to compete. But I'm not even totally convinced that we're at the level that Liverpool were when they were competing. And that's because, I go back to the point I made earlier, I don't feel like we've progressed at the start of this season. I don't feel like I'm watching a better Arsenal side now than the one I was watching in March, April and May of last season. I, I don't know, maybe that's me being harsh. I think we've picked up some results, but you know, Emirates Stadium was a fortress. Nobody came to Emirates Stadium, really, with the exception of Manchester City and took anything more um, than a good beating. But at the start of this season, we've dropped points there against Tottenham. We've dropped points there against Fulham. You don't feel like it's the same fortress for whatever reason. You know, silly defensive mistakes are costing us. I, I know that. And it's not anything to do with the atmosphere or or anything like that. But I don't know. I, just, I don't feel like we're in a better position to compete with them now than we were last year. And that, you know, might be something that isn't really too much of an issue just because of how good they are. And maybe it's naive of me to expect us to have closed that gap further. But I don't know. I, I, I just don't have that feeling about Arsenal at the start of this season. And there's a part of me that keeps telling myself, well, you know, if you look back at last season, we we peaked too early and, and we got to the top of our game too early on in the campaign and we burnt out and we ran out of momentum and we ran out of steam and ultimately we ended up, you know, falling away. And and so actually the fact that we've started the way we have, where we're within touching distance, we're within a point of Manchester City, but we actually haven't played all that well and we know there's still more to come might be a good thing. But then when you, you isolate this specific fixture, I don't think you can beat this Manchester City side unless you are at the top of your game. And I don't feel like we're there at this moment in time. If I take this on to the form guide, uh, Manchester City, of course, lost uh, against Wolves last weekend. Arsenal remain unbeaten, but they won four of their five, um, sorry, th yeah, four of their five prior to that. Um, they, of course, uh, beat Nottingham Forest, West Ham, Fulham, Sheffield United. Arsenal won at Bournemouth by four goals to nil. Really convincing win that day. We drew at home to Spurs in the game prior. That was uh, after a couple of wins over Manchester United and Everton at Goodison Park. And we, of course, drew with Fulham uh, really, really early on in the campaign as well. Not a massive sample size to go by still because it's still early in the campaign. But in terms of our season so far, um, they've won six, we've won five. We've drawn two, they've drawn none, but they've also lost one and we've lost none. On average, they score at 2.43 goals per match in comparisons to Arsenal's 2.14. Average goals conceded per match. Manchester City concede on average 0.71 of a goal. We're 0.86, so we're slightly higher there. Three clean sheets apiece, though. Manchester City lead us in terms of chances created per match. If you go to the top player statistics, Erling Haaland leads the way because he's got eight Premier League goals already this season. Eight Premier League goals for a guy that everybody's saying is not, not firing this season and isn't at his best, isn't anywhere near its peak. We haven't even played eight Premier League games yet. And he's got eight goals on the board. Bukayo Saka's in second place with four. And Julian Alvarez is third with three. Uh, in terms of assists, uh, Manchester City lead the way. Julian Alvarez on three. Phil Foden on three. Also, he's in joint top position 
uh, in this particular metric. And Arsenal's representation in the top three uh, comes in the shape of Fabio Vieira. Passes, uh, they top this one as well, 647 uh, from Rodri. The next best is William Saliba on 566. There's nearly 100 passes difference in that. Ruben Diaz is in third. Uh, he's made just seven passes uh, less than William Saliba at the heart of Manchester City's defence. Tackles, though, oh, well, Arsenal are cleaning up on this one. But Kayo Saka leads the way. That might surprise people with 19 tackles. He leads the way across both sides. Declan Rice is second with 15. And then third is Martin Odegaard, which only goes to highlight a, what Martin Odegaard does off the ball. And, and when people say, oh, he hasn't had a great day on it. You know, I always say, well, look at what he does off it as well, because that does compensate to some degree. But also the fact that Saka's top of that list, it shows you that Arsenal's forward press is really, really effective. and actually is a big part of how they defend um, as well. So, um, yeah, good to see, I guess. Uh, right. Let's, um, let's have a little look into... Uh, what Mikel Arteta has been saying ahead of this one, because, of course, his press conference uh, took place earlier today. What did the boss have to say? We'll pick out the highlights uh, from Mikel Arteta's presser this afternoon, right after this. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. Right, let's, uh, let's do this. Here we go. Uh, let's share. Um, this and let's go through some of the highlights from Mikel Arteta's press conference. So what did he have to say? He faced the media, of course, this afternoon ahead of this one. And the headlines are Bukayo Saka is in contention to face Manchester City this weekend, despite lots of people giving up hope over the last couple of days. Look, Mikel Arteta loves to keep people guessing. We spoke about this after the Bournemouth game, didn't we, where he told us that six players were touch and go. We turned up down on the South Coast and five of the six were available. I don't want to get people's hopes up by saying that Bukayo Saka is definitely playing or that he's definitely available or anything like that. But I really do think that there is a strong chance that he plays. Um, I, I really do think that given that he's going to be desperate as well to continue this run that he's on of playing in consecutive Premier League games, I think Mikel Arteta will want to push him a little bit, particularly knowing that the international break is just around the corner as well, um, because he'll realise the significance of this fixture. And he also understands, because he also kind of highlighted it in the press conference, what a massive psychological boost beating Manchester City would give his team. I think if Bukayo Saka's 70-75% fit, I think Mikel Arteta risks it. And we'll come on to whether or not that's the right decision a little bit later on in the programme. But that was the main highlight, the main takeaway from the press conference. But Kaya Saka is in contention to face Manchester City. He also said Thomas Partey will be in the squad this weekend. Of course, he was involved in the group that travelled out to Lons, but he didn't play. Um, and I did wonder if he would get a, a few minutes under his belt. And, and I wondered if that would then give us an indication as to whether or not he could start the game against Manchester City. But when you look at how that game unfolded, and the more I think about it, the more I think Mikel Arteta was right to keep him out of this one. You know, it was a really physical battle, difficult encounter. And I just think that, yeah, you know, the fact that he didn't come on, it doesn't mean that he definitely won't start at the weekend is kind of where I'm going with this. Would I like to see him start? We'll get onto that in a little bit. Uh, Mikel Arteta did reference the fact that the Community Shield victory... Um, 
he gave us confidence versus City, confidence in ourselves that we could beat them. He did say it's always great when you win a title from Man City. I mean, Mikel, I, I love you, mate, but calling it a title is, is a bit of a stretch, isn't it? It's the community shield, for God's sake. But um, I understand that it was a, a morale-boosting victory. I even spoke of that, didn't I, in the, post, uh, the post-match podcast that we did. And, and, you know, I enjoyed it on the day, but would I read into it now? Probably not too much. Um, and Mikel Arteta also said that we're going to have to be at our best in every department, which I know feels like it's kind of stating the obvious, but I, I like the in every department bit because we've not been at our best in every department that often this season. You know, we've had games where we've looked pretty effective going forward, but we've looked really lapsed defensively. And there have been other occasions, I think, you know, I can think of a couple where defensively we've been sound, solid, uh, safe as houses, as they say. But then offensively, we've lacked that spark. So Mikel Arteta knows that we need a well-rounded performance and we need the type of performance where, you know, we can be present in both boxes, but also potent in both boxes and clinical in both boxes. And as Mikel Arteta likes to say, efficient in both boxes. So those are the highlights from the press conference that Mikel Arteta gave this afternoon. Um, I'm going to share with you guys uh, my starting 11. This is the team that I would pick to face Manchester City. Remember, it's the team I would pick and not necessarily the team I think Mikel Arteta is going to pick. So we'll talk through a little bit of that as well and um, feel free to get involved in the comments uh, with this. So um, let's kick this off then. So starting in goal for me, I'm going with Aaron Ramsdale. I'm sorry, like I like David Raya and I think it was a good decision to bring in another good goalkeeper. I think we definitely, definitely needed to upgrade on Matt Turner. But I'm not totally convinced by Raya at this moment in time. Now, I know the counter argument will be, but he's kept clean sheets and, you know, he's he's brought a stability to the back line. It's, it's something I hear a lot of people saying. I don't really feel that stability with him. I think at Bournemouth, he looked stable and comfortable. But again, we were up against, I'm sorry, nothing opposition in terms of what they offered on that day. He looked comfortable against Everton, again, a side that offered nothing going forward. He looked comfortable against PSV Eindhoven, again, a side that didn't really test us or cause us any problems. But in the Spurs game, I thought he looked shaky when the ball was being played back to his feet. And, and wasn't that the whole point that he was brought in? And he also looked shaky against Lons for me. You know, his poor pass where he put Tommy Asu in a, a rubbish situation is ultimately what led to Lons's equaliser, which swung the pendulum in the game. So, you know, I, I'm not saying that Rye is not a good goalkeeper. Uh, he is, and I'm glad we have him. But I really do feel like at this moment in time, he's not done enough to prove to me that he's better than Aaron Ramsdale. And therefore, it feels incredibly harsh to have left Aaron Ramsdale out. Now, I think Ramsdale's a great character. And I think Ramsdale will bounce back from this. I'm, I've been devastated for him, gutted for him that he hasn't been able to play in the Champions League yet, which is something that he would have dreamed of and something he played a big part in us returning to. And, and I'm absolutely confident that attitude wise and mentally, he's he's still there and he switched on and all the rest of it. You know, when I was in the away end at Lons and, and Ramsdale came to warm up in front of where we were situated, he also came with David Raya. David Raya didn't get the loving from the fans that Aaron Ramsdale got. Because I think there's people out there that feel like Ramsdale's been wronged almost. And listen, competition is key and you need it and you want it. And I was in favour of David Raya coming in. 
But I wanted him to come in and fight with Aaron Ramsdale. And I wanted him to come in and prove to everybody why he deserves to be the number one. And based on what we've seen so far, I don't think he has. I don't think that he's done anything that Aaron Ramsdale couldn't have done. Um, Ramsdale would look comfortable in games against poor opposition. David Rye has done that, fine. But it isn't something that separates the two or makes him the standout candidate. So, you know, I, I didn't enjoy Rye's performance the other night. I thought he made a big, big mistake in the lead up to that goal. And I didn't enjoy his performance against Spurs either. Therefore, I'm not totally convinced he deserves to continue as the number one. I don't think Mikel Arteta will do that for what it's worth. I think Raya will play, but this is what I would do. Uh, moving into the back line, uh, Ben White will come in uh, right back for me. I'm starting to think that Tomiyasu is a better left back than he is right back. Because whenever he plays right back, I feel like he's a little bit all over the shop. And that's weird because he's a right footed player. Um, I think the best performance we've seen from Tommy Astley so far this season was when he played at centre-back at Brentford. Um, so White would come in uh, right back for me. Um, centre-backs pick themselves, Saliba and Gabriel. This is by far our best central defensive partnership, and I don't even think we need to really discuss this. Left-back for me would be Oleksandr Zinchenko. Now, I know there have been questions over Zinchenko and his defensive contribution and all the rest of it. And he'll be the first to admit that he's not a very good defender. But I think the way that you compensate for it um, is, is by redressing the balance in midfield. And I think the fact that we've not always had the right players available has meant that we've not always been able to provide the cover that Zinchenko was receiving last season, for example. And therefore, we've not seen the best of him at the start of this campaign. In my midfield, I'd bring Thomas Partey in as long as he's fit enough. And I, I, you know, I appreciate that. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I appreciate that. I don't understand um, the full extent of A, the injury he suffered, but also uh, B, you know, how far along he is in his recovery. But if he's fit enough to be involved, he's fit enough to start for me. And I want to see Thomas Partey sitting back at the base of the midfield. Not because I don't rate Declan Rice. I think he was wonderful out in Lons despite the result but because I want to see Declan Rice uh, playing in that slightly to the left of centre position with Martin Odegaard playing from the right, um, giving Arsenal what I believe would be their most balanced and best midfield trio. This is it for me. And I think where people have been giving Kai Havertz a lot of crap um, and, and giving Mikel Arteta a lot of crap off the back of that, it's like they, they forget that Rice hasn't been, sorry, that Partey hasn't been available. And when Partey was available, as was Rice, we were without Zinchenko, which meant we needed to put one of our midfielders into a fullback position so that they could join in the play and all of that. Not because I think that's essential, but clearly it's something Mikel Arteta does. So to have them all available would be massive. And, you know, we talk about the absence of Rodri and, and how significant that could be for Manchester City. I'll tell you this, this Arsenal midfield, if it plays, dominates that Manchester City midfield physically without Rodri. And that could be massive in terms of dictating the outcome of this game. So my midfield would be Partey, Rice and Odegaard. If Partey isn't fit enough to start, that's a different story. But based on the fact he was in the squad against Lons, he's had a few more days to work on his fitness. I don't see why he can't at least be in contention. And then the forward line. For me, from the left, it's got to be Leandro Trossard. I don't think he performed particularly well out in Lons the other night. In fact, I thought he had a stinker, but we're not exactly blessed with a ton of options in that position at the moment. Some would argue that maybe Emil Smith-Rowe should play, possibly. I'm not sure that Mikel Arteta sees him as a left winger anymore. 
Um, you know, maybe that's because he sees Martinelli as being ahead of him. He sees Trossard as being ahead of him. Reese Nelson is in that conversation as well. And perhaps the future of Emil Smith-Rowe, as we've discussed previously, is slightly further infield. So I don't think he'll be in contention, but I still think Trossard's got enough credit in the bank to deserve that start. On the right, I'm going with Bukayo Saka, as long as he's at least 70% fit. If he's not, then that changes things for me and we'll come on to what I would do in that instance. But for me, if he can, you play him because we really, really need him. We need someone um, to to stretch the play. You know, we need someone to give us that width and that dynamic because Trossard is someone that likes to come in field. You know, you'd have to tweak his instructions if you wanted him to be a bit more of a Martinelli in terms of his start positions and all the rest of it. But he's just a different player. You know, he wants to pop up in different pockets of space. He wants to operate in different areas of the pitch. Gabriel Martinelli is very much a wide forward who wants to pick the ball up right on the touchline. So he's got space to bring it under control under relatively um, little pressure and then drive into areas. Martinelli's more direct than any of our players. Um, that's what's so special about him. That's what he brings some variety to our attack. That's why he's become such a key component in it. But he doesn't look like he's going to be available. So Trossard from the left, Saka from the right for me. And then Jesus up front. Now we've discussed what we do if Saka isn't fit enough to start. And if he's not, then I think you probably um, got to go with Jesus on the right and Enketia through the middle. I mean, there's an argument for Nelson, but I don't think that Mikel Arteta would turn to him first. I think given what we've seen in recent weeks, that the likelihood of Jesus being shoehorned into a wide position is, is higher than anything else should Saka be absent. Enketia is trusted by Mikel Arteta. He might not be trusted by all of us, but he's trusted by Mikel Arteta. And Jesus, who hasn't been that effective in the wide areas, I have to say, when he's played there recently, is certainly more effective when playing from the right wing rather than the left wing. So maybe... That would work in his favour. I don't know. But anyway, that's my uh, Arsenal versus Manchester City lineup. Let me just run through that one more time for those of you that are um, listening to this and don't have access to the visuals. Ramsdale in goal, White, Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko are my back four. Partey, Rice and Odegaard would be my midfield trio. Although if Partey's not fit enough to start, then it would be Rice sitting at the base and Havertz comes back in. And then it will be Saka, Trossard and Jesus, again, assuming that all of those players are fit and available. Let me know what you think in the comments. I'll get some of your um, comments on this in just a moment as well. We're going to take a really, really short pause. Then we'll be back. Take a few of your comments and then it's Q&A time. So get those questions into the live chat box. Welcome back along. Right, let's go over to the comments and see what you guys are saying. How badly have you ripped my team apart? Um, on Emil Smith-Rowe, who we discussed there, Richie says not enough game time uh, for Emil Smith-Rowe so far to start. Fair point. Um, Ivan says all depends on Partey's fitness. If he's fit, um, then leave it him and Rice or go with him and Rice. Um, Paul Neal says front three could be interesting. M says uh, play Saka for 60 to 70 minutes and then take him off. It's the international break for two weeks. Yes, um, and hopefully... Um, even if he is fit to go on this international break, there can be some kind of dialogue between Arsenal and uh, and uh, and England around how they use him and, and if they protect him. Because I tell you what, like Gareth Southgate talks a good game and he talks about the fact that, you know, player well-being is always number one and all the rest of it. And 
And I get that he's got a job to do as well. He needs to get results. If he doesn't, he'll be out of a job. So nobody's going to sacrifice their own interests for the interests of a club with whom they have zero affiliation, right? I get that. But I genuinely think we've got a wider problem in football around the amount of games that we're um, loading on to particularly young players like Bukayo Saka, um, who are still sort of finding their way. Like you run the risk of them being burnt out and their careers sort of curtailing before they've even got to their peak. And that's a, a real concern of mine. But I think that's a wider debate around football and, and the way football's headed, you know, the Champions League next season with extra games and all the rest of it. This is a wider footballing issue. I think right now as Arsenal fans and, and as Arsenal Football Club, we just have to accept that if we want to compete on multiple fronts and we want to be talked about as one of the best, then we're going to have to play a lot of games. Our players are going to have to play a lot of games. And when you're as bloody good as Bukayo Saka is, you're inevitably going to be called upon more often than not. Right, let's take a few more of your comments on this. Derek says, Ramsdale should be playing in the City game. Raya has not proven himself in the Tottenham game. His distribution that day was really bad. He was put under pressure and didn't handle it. Um, in the interest of fairness, I'll read this comment out from HFN. He says, in Ketia against Man City, do you want to score zero goals in open play again? Uh, I'm guessing you're not a fan. Um, you're not a fan. Uh, Sodic says, um, why didn't you consider Havertz up top in, in your lineup in the absence of Saka? I was going to come on to talk about what I think Mikel Arteta might do. And I think Mikel Arteta would consider that. He did it in the Community Shield. It worked to good effect, I thought. That's still probably Kai Havertz's best performance in an Arsenal shirt. So I think he would consider it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you stick Havertz um, in the centre-forward position, Jesus from the right, Trossard from the left. And if Partey's fit enough, you go with that Partey, Rice and Odegaard midfield. That could be interesting. OK, um, let's take some of your questions. Let's take some of your thoughts. Start getting them in the chat box and we'll work our way uh, through as many of these as we can. Uh, live listener Q&A here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. We're streaming live on YouTube at the moment. I don't know if we're streaming live on Twitter as well, are we? Or what's it called nowadays? X, Twitter, X. Um, start getting your questions in. I just wanted to make a couple more points uh, while you're doing that. Um, the points I wanted to make were with regards to, yeah, we are streaming on Twitter. There you go, on X, whatever it's called. A couple of points I wanted to make. So first of all, a, a question that gets asked quite a bit is, and was asked today in the press conference, by the way, is does the fact that Mikel Arteta and Pep Guardiola know each other make it difficult for them to surprise each other? And therefore, you know, how does that kind of impact the tactical battle between these two sides? I think both of these guys are so intelligent that they're capable of, of making changes, system changes, shuffling packs, shaking things up in a way that very few coaches can to the point where these games become unpredictable and therefore always entertaining. Um, I don't think the fact that they know each other really well is, is a problem. You know, you can study a coach a lot without knowing him personally and still have a good idea of what he might do, what his philosophy entails and all the rest of it. So I don't think that's too much of a thing here. We talked earlier about the the opportunity to beat them while they're Rodriless, the de-Rodrification, um, as it was put to me last weekend. Um, of a by a colleague is it, something that Arsenal should be taking advantage of or trying to take advantage of, but I don't think it's that cut and dry. You know, there are teams stacked with talent. There are teams stacked with brilliant, brilliant players. And although that would increase our chances of winning, the fact that we're sort of worried about the fitness of two really key players ourselves, and, and maybe more than that, is, is, is something of a leveller. So, yeah, um, we'll, we'll get on to 
um, your questions because there's a few questions along those lines a little bit later on in the program. Just quickly from me, my prediction for the game. People aren't going to want to hear this, but I'm going to go with a 3-1 Man City win. Um, I just think we concede way too many goals at home um, at the moment. I don't know how we put that right. I don't know how you remove the silly mistakes from a team that is ultimately your best team. You know, yeah, I, I just, I don't see us keeping a clean sheet. I see us conceding goals. I see Manchester City rising to the occasion as they always do in big games and being able to show a clinical side that we just simply don't have about us. I'd love to be wrong. And you know that most of the time I predict with my heart before my head, but this time I got to go with my head because I think we should be somewhat mentally prepared for what might come at the weekend, which is, I'm not going to say a hiding, but another reality check could be around the corner. I really do feel that. And and I also think people are making too much of a big deal of Rodri's absence. Like, yes, he's a key player and he's a good player and you'd rather they didn't have him than they did. But ultimately, this is a a top class side with lots of options. Even if they played Calvin Phillips, which I don't actually think they will, because I don't think Mikel Arteta, Mikel Arteta, Pep Guardiola, I should say, is totally convinced by it. But, uh, you know, even if he played, They've got so much quality in and around him, or they would have so much quality in and around him, that that probably doesn't make that much difference either. My worry is that defensively we're so fragile for some reason at home at the moment. And we were fragile on Tuesday night as well on our travels. But the fact that we look so fragile defensively, that we look naive defensively um, against a side that are better than anybody at carving you open, and have the likes of Erling Haaland and Julian Alvarez in attack to think that we're going to lose because of that, I don't think is an unreasonable school of thought to be in. But anyway, that's my prediction. Arsenal won Manchester City three, as much as it kills me to say it. Right, short pause, and then your questions uh, for the last 10 minutes of the show. Keep them going. Right, let's see uh, what you guys have got for me here. Richie says, uh, do you think... We would go mid-block with a high press in this game. Or will doing so see us caught out on the counter? I think we got caught out on the counter a few times by Manchester City last season. And I think Mikel Arteta would have probably learned from that. I think the game against City at the Etihad where we got torn apart on the counter or or we were exposed for our high line on more than one occasion, shall we say. Obviously, that had Rob Holding in the back line which was a disaster waiting to happen. I know you don't want to change your philosophy. You don't want to change the way you play. But when you've got um, Rob Holding in the heart of the defence, then the the ball game changes, right? Um, I think you will see a slightly more conservative Arsenal because I think they've learned some lessons from some of the more recent defeats at the hands of Manchester City. And where I said at the beginning of the programme, I don't think this is a must-win. I really do believe that, you know, and and so, for example, if it got to 65, 70 minutes and it was nil-nil or 1-1 and the game was finally poised and Arsenal were sitting back sort of semi-taking risks when the opportunities came to squeeze up the pitch but weren't totally committal in doing that, I would be okay with it. I would be okay with Arsenal getting to a certain point in the game, assessing the game state and deciding that a draw is the best course of action or, or that staying tight and compact is the priority. Therefore, the likelihood of it playing out as a draw is is probably the most likely outcome. I'd be fine with that. I would genuinely be fine with that. 
It's more a must not lose than a must win. But as I said to you guys earlier on, I don't think really you can put a game eight games into the season as um, being in either of those two categories. Okay. Um, Trevor Bibbon says, would you play Partey with no match fitness for the full 90 minutes? Probably wouldn't be able to give him the full 90 minutes. But I think that if you played him and you got a good foothold in the game, there's no reason why you couldn't bring on Jorginho to play alongside Rice, not in place of Rice, which is what we've seen happen at various other points this season. We, obviously, when we lost Rice in the North London derby, Jorginho was the replacement. But if you then reverted to a double pivot of Rice and Jorginho or Rice and El Nenny even, um, if you were solely looking at the defensive side of the game at that point in the fixture, then yeah, you can take Partey off that little bit earlier if that's what needs to happen. But I think you start with your best team. And if Thomas Partey is fit enough to start, then for me, he starts. Um, in terms of the full 90 minutes, you're going to have to judge that and assess it as it goes. The likelihood of him completing the full 90 minutes in a game of that intensity and with those high stakes is not very high, given how long he's been out. But, um, you know, you you cross that bridge when you come to it. I think you assess the game and then you decide what the best way of, of proceeding is at that point. Uh, Sadiq says, does the de-rogification of Man City, I love the way that's a thing now, put more pressure on Arsenal to win? If we win, the narrative would be we're expected to beat them after all they're without Rodri and De Bruyne. I agree with you on this. I think it has increased the pressure. And I think had there not been a doubt over Bukayo Saka and had Martinelli been fit, people would be saying Arsenal are going to win this game. Not just they have to or they should, they are. That's the level of expectation that surrounds our football club now. And at times, I think that's good because it signifies the progress we've made. But at times, I think it's a bad thing as well, because with expectation comes pressure and pressure without experience can often lead to a crumble. So, yeah, um, I do agree with you. I think that there is more pressure on Arsenal as a result of, of Rodri's absence. And we don't know about who else is in and out because the team news is often kept under wraps until the very last minute, until it's impossible to hide it any longer. But... We do know that Rodri is definitely going to miss the game, of course, um, through uh, suspension. Hacker says, uh, assuming Arsenal aren't as good this half of the season, what would you change in January? Um, I mean, a lot can change between now and then, but just kind of at this stage, you know, I'd say we need an alternative on the right wing because we're killing Bukayo Saka at the moment. I don't really have an issue with Arteta picking him on Tuesday. It was an away game in the Champions League. And as I said to you earlier in the week, the fact that we got beaten the way we did kind of vindicated his decision to play the best team and and proved that he was right I thought to pick the, the strongest side but we need another option there we probably need um a, another defensive option whilst we're without Yuri and Timber and I don't care if that's a short-term thing we probably just need another body in there and then midfield as well you know like I'd like to see us go out and get someone who is more of an eight than Havertz is because We've upset the balance a little bit in terms of what we were doing last season in comparison to this season. Yes, Partey and Rice haven't always been fit at the same time. And then when they were, Zinchenko wasn't fit, which meant that Partey was, in my opinion, required to do a different role just to keep some continuity in the system and the way we play and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, I, I just I think those are the areas that I'd be looking at at the moment. Um, but again, you know, it's only the beginning of October and a lot can happen. Uh, and we might learn further lessons between now and then. Uh, Sefi Roth says, uh, do you think we should try Zinchenko in the middle and Tommy Asso at left back to have a better defence if Partey doesn't play? It's not the worst shout in the world, but 
the thing I always think when I when people come up with with that kind of possibility or option, like theoretically it works. Sinchenko plays in that position for Ukraine, has been a midfielder for a long time in his career, and he made that change. Obviously, later on, um, uh, you know, at, at Manchester City, from being sort of a, a conventional midfield player to a fullback slash somebody that drops into midfield and pops into midfield, whatever. I just we've we've never seen Mikel Arteta pick Zinchenko as a central midfielder, never, like not even when we had Kieran Tierney available to us. So if he didn't do it then, I find it hard to believe that he's going to do it now. I'm not saying that that's a wild suggestion or something that shouldn't be considered. I actually think there's some logic in, in that suggestion, but I just don't see Mikel Arteta doing it, which is why I didn't consider it when when sort of picking my team. Uh, Raphael says, hi, Harry, trust you well. Great to be able to catch your show live from Singapore. Uh, what tactics do you think Arsenal should adopt to change the tide against City? Thanks. I think it's just about finding a better balance between being aggressive, but also being pragmatic when it matters and not leaving ourselves exposed. Do we get caught up in the emotion when we play big games at home? Sometimes we do. You know, I think that it's great in the way that we can use it as fuel. But at the same time, you know, you you can you can allow it to cloud your judgment in big moments when when making key decisions on the pitch and off the pitch and all the rest of it. So there is an argument that that is has been a problem for us at times. But I also think the emotion is a big part of why we've progressed the way we have. So in terms of of tactically, I just think just be a little bit more pragmatic. Just be a little bit mindful of the spaces you're leaving in behind you. Maybe tweak the midfield, as I say, if Partey's fit, play Partey and Rice. Let Rice get up and down the pitch in the way that we all know he can and support the attacks when possible. But also instruct him to get closer to Thomas Partey at times if he's the one playing at the base of the midfield or Jorginho, whoever it is. Put it this way. If Thomas Partey isn't fit enough to start, then I still leave out Kai Havertz and I would play Jorginho alongside Rice rather than leaving us exposed in midfield with a Havertz or a Vieira in there. My personal opinion. Let me take uh, one or two more uh, before we say our goodbyes. Uh, Salah Hedin says that starting a Reese Nelson could be better than a 50% Saka. Thoughts? Not from the right. I, I just, Reese Nelson shows me flashes when I think this guy's bloody brilliant. But all of those moments have come on the left. When he plays on the right, I just don't see it. It just doesn't work for me. Um, if if Saka's only 50% fit, then I agree that you don't play him. But I don't think the solution is to put Reese Nelson on the right. Um, in terms of how fit does Saka have to be in terms of a percentage for me to go, yeah, you should be playing. I'm probably talking 65, 70%. I think he's that important. I really, really do. Um, Trevor says, Harry, are we just jinxed that we never have our best starting 11 to play Man City? It feels like that, doesn't it? Um, yeah. It, it, it just, yeah, it just feels that way. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it pretty much has been that way, hasn't it, for a little while. Um, Richie says, I would love to see your not live podcast of a day doing the Chronicles of Aguna on a match day. Um, what do you mean? Like a kind of like a, a vlog thing of like the whole day from start to finish? I guess we could do one on 
Sunday. I'm going to be rushing around a little bit in between jobs, but I guess we could do something to give you guys a bit of an insight into what a day is like for me, um, working on the game and then finishing that and and working on the podcast as well directly after that um, in most instances. If that's what you mean, then yeah, yeah, um, I can try and, and put something together over the weekend. It might not be the best edited or anything like that because I'm not really a whiz at that stuff. But yeah, um, why not? Why not? Right. We are going to leave it there. Big thank you to everybody for joining in um, in the live chat. Big thanks to everybody that will be watching or listening to this back a little bit later on. Uh, we've got a member's mailbag episode, which is going to be dropping on Monday this week. So if you've got um, questions after the Man City game, then please do ping them over to me as quickly as you possibly can. And that gives me some time to to include those in before we release that um, on Monday at some point. Don't forget to leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. That really, really does help um, on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel if your brand's spanking you as well as we continue to crawl towards that next milestone on YouTube. If you're listening on audio, leave us a review. That really, really does help as well. I am absolutely shattered. I've got more prep to do ahead of my game, uh, my commentary game tomorrow. So I'm going to love you and leave you. I'm going to go and have a cup of tea and then I'm going to crack on with that. But um, yeah, I'll catch you all on Sunday. And fingers crossed, we'll be back talking about an Arsenal victory. You've been listening to the Big Match Preview here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Love you all. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.